the Lord is the Lord is our salvation. Um, one of my favourite hymns. You know, it caused me to remember one of the first times when we sung it was uh, one of the early uh, uh, Grace Baptist Church conferences that we went to, and as so many people were gathered, just bellowing out, "The Lord is past our way." I just heard some news from from Barry that there is conversations, there's there's prayers taking place for what could and should happen in August. So uh, um, uh, there's a chance that we could meet again. So if the Lord wills, uh, we'll spend some great time again in Swanwick. May I ask you uh, to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5. We're really coming to the end of uh, uh, this letter, this, this, this wonderful letter that Paul writes to, to a church. And, you know, it's, you know, the, the, almost the longevity of it uh, mirrors this, the, the, the life of this local church, the, the, the things that have taken place that have led to uh, me not being able to come up here to preach and continue. But uh, to everything, we give God the glory and we thank him. Uh, for it all. Um, I pray that as we have been walking through this letter, that you would have been as encouraged as I have been, and that we will return to it continually over and over again, being reminded of what the Lord has to say to us. Previously, uh, a couple of weeks ago, as I preached, we learned that Christ's death has turned our death into sleep. In chapter 4, verse 13, Paul uses this phrase where he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not, be grie- may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul is saying that we ought not to be afraid. Christ has defeated death so much so that the power and even the sting of death has been turned into almost almost a nap. A brief sleep until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Uh, You know, you, you think of the reality of death, especially in the times that we've been in, and to hear the Lord communicate to us that we, we, those who love him and wait for his, his coming, we're just going to sleep. As a father of two, sleep is a precious, precious thing. And uh, it's a good thing and, and it brings, uh, you know, a long expected rest for us. But sleep can also be a bad thing, especially when we're not supposed to be sleeping. You know, falling asleep during a lecture or during a sermon. That results in a waste of time. Falling asleep while working may cost an employee his job. Falling asleep while driving may, may cause a serious accident. Falling asleep whilst flying an airplane might result in, in, in tragedy. You know, that even reminds me, as I remember, reading an article, I was watching, I've forgotten the name of the film, the, the Denzel Washington film, where he was, uh, he drinks and whatnot, but there, there was some sort of study in relation to that done with uh, uh, pilots. I think anywhere between 200, 300 pilots were asked, you know, whether they fell asleep while flying, and you know, 56% of them said yes. They had falling asleep whilst flying a plane. And 26% of that 56% said that they had even woken up to find their co-pilot asleep as well. You know, we're waiting when we can travel, but I don't want to put any doubt in everyone's mind, but I think we can see how important it is to perform critical tasks whilst remaining awake and alert. I mean, this might help us to understand our own need to watch 
and be sober. To watch and be sober as we live this Christian life. Paul gives us an exhortation this evening from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to read the first 11 verses and it calls us to, to watch and be sober. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. They will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let's pray. Oh, most heavenly and gracious Father, Lord, I come to you this evening uh, weary after, after a, a, a difficult week in different ways, and I have no doubt that uh, those who are gathered today and those who are listening and watching uh, might be weary, definitely, especially in this season that we're in, Lord. But I ask you and I, I beg you, Father, that you might come and breathe your word among us today. May we know what it means to watch and be sober in these uh, tumultuous days that we live in. Help us, Lord, to, to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ and to stay awake. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Watch and be sober. This evening I just want to answer two questions. One, why we need to watch and be sober, and how we might watch and be sober. Why and how? Very simple. I pray that the Lord will help us this evening. In this passage, Paul is continuing the teaching that he has been finishing off, as we saw in chapter 4. That, you know, sometimes chapters and verses can be a bit of a hindrance. You just are like, wait a minute, you, you, you've become, you, this is chapter 5, but it seems to be a follow-on from what was already written in chapter 4. I mean, we must remember that this is one letter. Paul writing one letter to one church. And for our own help and for our edification, that we, through years and, 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 and centuries and whatnot, we've found it a blessing to be able to add chapters and verses. But this is one letter, one stream of thought. Paul talking to us about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might remember how Paul says that in chapter 4, verse 16, that he is going to descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise first. And all the believers who are alive in Christ, and when he returns, will be caught up together with him in the air, in the clouds, and we will meet the Lord in the air. And that glorious event is certainly something that we should look forward to. If there's anything we should look forward to, it's that. What everyone would like to know, and what everyone has sought to know over the years is, when is this going to happen? 
When will Christ return? And the answer is given to us in the first two verses. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You know, Paul had probably said this before as he had spent time in Thessalonica and he had reiterated to them something that the Lord Jesus has already said in Matthew chapter 24, at verse 36. But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Verse 42, therefore stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Paul is reiterating that to them, and he comes to this epistle, and he's saying to them, watch, to be alert at all times for the Lord's coming, for Christ will come into the world when we least expect it, and many will be taken by surprise, and it will be a real catastrophe for some people. Paul gives us two illustrations there in verse 2 and verse 3, showing us the unexpected nature of Christ's return. First of all, a thief in the night. No thief ever discloses when they come. This is illustration again, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, Paul is not plucking these things from the air. This is the Lord himself who has taught his disciples. And this has come to Paul, who was a disciple of Christ, though he did not see him physically, but saw him, he did see him physically. But he then is reiterating that teaching. But know this, if the master, verse 24, um, chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 43 to 44, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The second illustration, a mother in labor pains. You know, as we waited for Tobetchuk and my second son, it was like, boy, this, boy, this kid's got to come out anytime soon. You know, and we're coming to the, the, near the due date, and I'm looking at Noma, like, when is it coming? And, you know, this is COVID. I'm, we, there was a couple of times we went to North Middlesex, and I had to stand outside the maternity ward because due, due to the uh, restrictions, I couldn't go in. And they're like, nah, not today. So I've got to go back, come the next day. But her mother doesn't know until the contractions just start. Paul is saying, like a thief in the light, like a mother who, who receives the labor pains, we do not know the time nor the hour. The fact is, the exact time of Christ's return, when he's going to bring about the rapture and the resurrected saints will rise to heaven, we do not know. But of course, Many have tried to predict. I remember uh, reading a little bit about the, uh, the late American radio broadcaster, Harold Camping. He predicted that Christ would return on the 11th of May, 2011, a specific date. And obviously that created a bit of a stir and everyone waited and, you know, it didn't happen. So all the billboards and the tracks have to be retracted, and guess what? He gave another date. <laughs> the 21st of October, 2011, and again, nothing happened. And obviously, we're going to hear more predictions. We've heard different ones. The fact remains, we cannot know the exact date when this will happen. All we know that the Lord himself has already revealed that certain signs will happen. With each and every passing day, we know we're brought one step closer to that day. The stage is already being set. Every day you switch on the news, 
you hear about some conflict somewhere. And you wonder, you know, Lord, is it, we are in the last days. Is it today? We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. We don't know the minute. All we know is we need to be watchful and we need to be sober. Watching requires concentration. It requires endurance. I mean, those of us who may have done a night vigil somewhere, you know, back in the days when my mom would take me to the Catholic night vigils and we're there and like, you know, I've, I've prepared for it. Maybe I've had a little nap during the day. I start off strong, you know, a couple hours. I'm good, I'm good. But then, you know, a couple hours later, I start to, all right, bring the coffee, Come on, let's, let's pray together. I mean, those are the kind of things that that's what it's causing you to do. You know, not to be alone, because as soon as you just sit on your own, you doze off. So you go, with, so, oh, let's, let's pray, let's talk. Uh, we're trying to be watchful at night for the night vigil. Think of that similar situation in the Garden of Gethsemane as the Lord Jesus Christ took three of his closest disciples with him and told them, watch with me for one hour. But when he came down, he found them asleep. A very sharp rebuke. He could not watch for even an hour. Watch and pray that you do not enter temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Our Lord Jesus Christ had also commanded us to be watchful. Paul is reiterating that to us this morning, this evening, for us to be watchful. And I'm telling you, we need to be watchful, for we do not know the time nor the hour. We, don't, we, we ought to be watchful because we don't know the time, but we also ought to be watchful because of the awful danger of being found asleep. The awful danger of being found asleep. And obviously sleep is an activity that's usually associated with darkness and the night. To be found asleep when Christ returns implies that one belongs to the darkness rather than the light. In the word of God, light and darkness are used as contrasting metaphors for holiness and sin, for good and evil, for knowledge and ignorance, as well as truth and falsehood. And Paul uses that same contrast between light and darkness in verses 4 to 7 to bring out the difference between believers and unbelievers. Be aware of the pronouns that Paul uses here in this text. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. This was a letter written to Christians. But it was, this particular one is not about them, but about the contrast between believers and unbelievers. That we ought to be watchful. We notice the ones who are called the brothers, the brethren, those who are not in the darkness, those who are not in the night, those who are not asleep. And the implication is very clear. If a person is found spiritually asleep when Christ returns, this reveals he is of the night and the darkness. It means he's not saved. If you're of the night and of the darkness, you are not in Christ. Though you may profess to be a Christian, 
He does not possess Christ as his or her Lord and Saviour. Please, we ought to take this exhortation extremely seriously and examine ourselves. Are you still waiting and watching for the return of Christ? Or have you fallen asleep? And how long will you remain asleep? You know, remaining asleep for too long basically means you're in a coma. You're in a prolonged sleep. As a deadly sleep. You know, a comatose person may look like they've just taken a brief nap, but we know, and the doctors know, that it's very different. He's inactive, he's unconscious, but he's still alive. His heart is still beating. You know, those who are asleep, they, they still walk around, they still go to work, they still live their lives, but spiritually, they're, they're totally conked out. I mean, how really does this apply to us as those who profess faith, as Christians? We must be conscious of how easy it is to fall asleep unless we are watchful, unless we are sober. He or she becomes spiritually inactive and is no longer growing in Christ nor having a close walk with him once they start to doze off, once they start to take the things of Christ lightly. You know, we may still attend church. We may even possess outward forms of religion, but we don't respond to the word of God when we hear it. So many people don't know how serious a condition that is. And maybe sometimes we as Christians don't communicate that. I know sometimes I don't. Conversations I have with people who are clearly asleep. They're talking to me and I can hear that they do not think of the things of Christ at all. And yet I know that the Lord Jesus Christ has told me that I do not know the hour, he could come right this second. And here I am, wasting this time talking about irrelevant things. This isn't just an exhortation to say, oh, there's people out there that don't, you know, that they could fall asleep. It's not even just like, oh, be careful that you might not fall asleep. There are people asleep in this world and we must be watchful and watch out for them. Constantly beckoning people to come to Christ whilst the sun is still shining, whilst the light of Christ still shines. I remember an imagery that um, Paul Washer often gave where he says, you know, Jesus Christ stands with two hands, one beckoning people to come, another hand holding back the wrath of the Father, and one day well, both hands are going to come down. I find that so sharp and true. You know, the whole idea of unconsciousness has been very apparent to me in the last, you know, couple months, definitely. Different, different scenarios has caused me to think about, you know, comas and comatose states. You know, there's been some, you know, very comical ones, maybe, as a, 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 a character in um, Cobra Kai who has a bad accident and goes into a coma. And me, myself and Noma were watching it quite intensely. Oh, when's he going to come out? Oh, a coma, you can see him, he's just asleep there. And finally he responds to something. Noma loves watching a lot of those critical kind of, you know, hospital, uh, emergency services kind of things. And you often see someone who has a bad accident and they fall into a coma, you know. Obviously up until recently, spending time uh, uh, um, watching my mum on a ventilator. She's asleep and we're there singing songs and praying.
When a doctor deals with an unconscious patient, one of the things he looks for is to make a quick assessment of how the depth of that coma is. You know, there are different levels of coma. You know, I was looking, I don't want to start talking about medical jargon that I haven't, you know, doubly and triply and checked, so I don't want to communicate any information I don't know at all. Oh, Elder Charles says that a coma is, no. <laughs> But I do know that there's, you know, comas can, can have diff differences in their depth. You know, sometimes they, 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 the doctors will say that they can people can respond to something, so continue singing, continue to, but there's, there's somewhere, you know, don't waste your time. There are also different levels of spiritual coma. There are Christians who backslide for a time, but they respond after a brother's counsel and wake up from their spiritual coma. There are some who may remain totally unresponsive to God's word until a painful trial jolts them back. We, 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 we hope that doesn't happen, but I've seen it so many times. I've experienced it. Where the Lord God send something painful to wake you up. But there are some who have plunged so deep into the spiritual coma that they never wake up. We don't know who those people are. Only the Lord knows. We continue to call out. But the truth is that there are people who when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, they have been in such a deep coma The hope for them. Well, that's not our responsibility to distinguish who has a coma or the level of their coma. Our responsibility is to go out there and make disciples of the nations. That's our only commission. Let this therefore be a warning to us. If you realize that you have fallen asleep spiritually, then you must take immediate action. Verse 6 says and tells us uh, 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 what, we, what we ought to do. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us wake up, be awake and be sober. Seek for a spiritual revival now. Don't think you can delay. Don't think you can prolong taking action. I wasn't, didn't have a chance to listen to, to Barry, but he, I know he said a couple of things last week about procrastinating, prolonging things, and I was, it was just ringing in my mind about, oh, wow, I've got tasks that I need to do. But the same for our spiritual life. We ought not to procrastinate. We ought not to hold back what we ought to be doing right now. It's true that the Lord is, is long-suffering. It's true that he is patient. It's true that he is merciful and kind, but it doesn't mean we must try his patience. What if Christ comes today? Are you prepared? Brethren, brothers and sisters, it is not time for us to be spiritually asleep, especially not now. Especially as a sort of word, what's the point of throwing it now? Whether, whether it's now or 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago, it was never right to be asleep. But even now, a lot of things can be uh, uh, um, misinterpreted as just uh, 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 what's happening in the times. You know, we wake up and I'm feeling down. You know, I, I, haven't, been in, I haven't had a job for a year. I've, been out of work, we're struggling, and I've... Those things are real, and they're difficult. And then we can say, okay, you know what? Just because of how I'm feeling, as a response to the circumstances of the time, I might be forgiven for falling into that prayerlessness. I might be... It might be okay if I just slip back into some of the things that... God hates. 
We do not know the time nor the hour, but we ought to know the danger of being found asleep when the Lord Jesus comes. But how? How might we stay awake? How might we watch? How might we stay sober? The first thing I might encourage is that we keep our minds in touch with reality. Keep our minds in touch with reality. Paul says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. We'll come to that in a minute. But since we belong to the day, being in touch with the light, being in touch with the realities of the light of life is vitally important in keeping a watch on our own souls. A sober mind is always in touch with reality. It's not distorted or clouded by the perceptions of life, but is able to see things as God sees them. I've, I've had time in my life where I've drunk too much. And I know what that state of drunkenness is like. You know, one birthday when I, when I really did went into excess. Basically, you know, there was a point where I, I, I practically blacked out. I woke up the next morning and I couldn't remember the things that I'd done, the things that I've said. Now, there's been time in the past where I've like <laughs> laughed at that, you know, you know, oh yeah, you know, I was drinking, it was my birthday, I drank, and oh, I woke up in my bed, I didn't know where I was. Oh, Charles, you know the things that you did last night? Ha, ha, ha. And yeah, you know, it's fun to it, but the reality is that is utter darkness. Imagine that. A part of your life where you don't know what's going on. But alcohol is not the only thing that affects the mind. No. Another thing can be an overindulgence in media where you slip out of touch with reality and you start to focus on things that aren't real or they're maybe a, a bit fictitious and they're being manipulated, whatever that is, but you're not focusing on what is real. Much of what is found in mass media and entertainment today is out of touch with reality. You open a, a, a one of the the red tops, or uh, the newspapers, the, uh, the national papers, they thrive on hideous crimes, on scandals, and accidents, on over-extreme publications. They create stories that are so out of the realms of reality, but we, you know, like Mike Ryan said this morning, on your commute, it's a, you know, a boring time, so why not read about the outlandish stories of somebody else's life and get lost in there. You know, the alcohol advert, uh, alcohol, but you think of the beer adverts that, that show that drinking beer is a form of manliness. They don't talk about the, 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 the stress on the social acceptance of it. Everyone drinks and how much it creates a status for you, but they don't talk about the accidents, the damage that that causes. Gambling. It's, oh, it's fun. They don't tell you about the destruction it causes in your life. The damage it brings to your life. Because it's not showing you reality, it's showing you an imagination. We need to exercise good discernment as much as they seek to deliberately misinterpret things and exaggerate things. We who are of the light must seek the light. Seek those things that come from above. 
Another thing that can distort one's perception and reality of life is like the, uh, things like video games. I love video games. I say I, used, I say I love, I used to love video games. I don't play much anymore. And that's not out of, out of a want of trying, you know? Every time I'll just slip, you know, the PlayStation 5's coming out, dear. You might need one, it's a, it can play movies. <laughs> but I think of the destruction that caused them. Like, you know, sometimes I try to think, oh, what would have happened if I had paid more attention at school? Maybe I would have got better grades. Maybe I wouldn't have gone to the college that I did. Maybe, blah, 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 maybe I wouldn't be here. The Lord ordains our steps, so it's, it's, it's futile thinking of that. But I do know how time, times I would miss my lectures playing, you know, GTA or FIFA or Pro Evolution back in the day. There's times I wouldn't think of the things of Christ. You know, well, I think back and think of those the university years, the times wasted. I wasted four years. I, I say wasted. I made good friends. I, I, got, I got a degree and whatnot, but I didn't know Jesus. And I just think of what could have, what could have been different had I been a Christian in those, within my, Christian, my, my university times. What kind of impact could I have had? A distortion of media and the things that cloud our mind and take our focus off the things of Christ and cause us to ultimately fall asleep are the things that the devil uses to move our eyes away from Jesus Christ, to cause us to focus on sometimes our own reflection our own weakness, our own sins, and plunge us deeper and deeper and deeper into the depths of despair. How often have you done something wrong and because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, at those initial stages before you totally came to Christ, you feel that deep despair like, oh, I've done something wrong and it hangs heavy on you. We slip from sleep to being awake to the reality of our sin. And rather than come to Christ, we, we, we might delve deeper into that. We must be watchful. We must stay sober. Keep a grasp on reality. Also maintain our spiritual readiness. Maintain our spiritual readiness. As I mentioned in the last part of chapter or verse 8, Paul talks about uh, um, something that we might be familiar with. The picture of a soldier in protective armor, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. This is the spiritual armor that will protect us from falling back into our sinful habits, from lapsing into a spiritual slumber again. Again, that same analogy can be found. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 to 45, describes how a man got rid of an unclean spirit. But because he did not fill the void, let the let things of life cloud in, the unclean spirit came back and found his heart nicely swept and clean, and he just invited people over brought seven other spirits that were even more wicked than him. What we ought to do to prevent ourselves from falling into our old ways is put on the armor of God. We're not going to win this battle on our own. Sanctification is the work of the Spirit. It's not the work of Charles. As Pastor Ryan said, it's not the work of Pastor Ryan. We must put on the whole armor of God if we are going to win the battle that we face each and every day, the, the battle that comes inside. Put on the armor of God. 
you know, Ephesians chapter 6 goes into the whole armor, but here Paul is emphasizing the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. As we sung, the Lord is my salvation. Remembering how spiritually bereft we were and only God could save us. That's the, that, that gives us the foundation from which we can rise up, remembering that, yes, I am weak. Yes, my skin, my sin is like scarlet, but Jesus can wash them all away. But our old sinful habits must be replaced by good spiritual virtues, such as faith, love, and hope. Fill our time with things that help us to cultivate those virtues. Prayer, fellowship. Do not neglect being at the Bible studies. The church hosts Bible studies, and thankfully, everyone here is a regular attendee. Do not neglect coming and gathering with the brothers and sisters as we open the word and feed from Jesus Christ. Fill ourselves with the Lord Jesus. Give him that supreme place in our lives. Test him and see. Watch and see how, whether he'll let you down. Invest in much time and building a close walk with Jesus in our own personal and daily devotions. You know, walking with the Lord is something that we ought to cultivate. There's no end to that. There's no point where we think, you know what, I've, I've walked with the Lord enough, I've arrived. It's a continual journey. And he teaches us more and more how to walk. Having that spiritual readiness. And ultimately to trust God in faithfulness. Another part of being watchful is how much we trust we place in our own ability to be watchful. You could listen to it and think, you know what, I'm going to go home. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I'm going to fill my life with all these things, and that would be ultimately so good. And there's nothing I would ever say to prevent you from doing that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, tells us and reminds us that you might tick all the boxes and you might still fall short. Our success, if you might call it that, our success ultimately depends not on how well we keep watching, but upon a God who throws his effort into watching over us. God is faithful. He never slumbers nor sleeps. Verse 9 tells us, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This means that the outcome is fully assured. We ought not to read this and think, you know what, Tomorrow, I've got a real battle on my hands to do everything I can for God to accept me again. No. No. Jesus said it is finished. Our salvation is assured in him. Believing in him is what gives us the foundation to walk. It was what gives us the, the, the energy to be able to say no to darkness, to flee from the things that, that drive us towards the sins that we hated. You know, I'm trying to, to start running again. Yeah, I've been trying for the last, last two or three years, but don't say anything about that. But I'm trying to even run competitively. You know, I used to do, um, you know, the 5Ks and the 10K runs. I was quite, you know, it's hard to believe, but I used to be a really good runner back in the day. But I know that running requires the best combination of stamina, patience, and endurance. 
It's very boring to run. It's so boring. You just there. Yeah. The most difficult part of running is not the beginning nor even the end. It's that middle part. When you start to feel tired, when you start to feel exhausted. But despite that, you've got to maintain a good pace. Especially in competitive races, you've, you've got to block that out. You've got to feel the pain and can press on forward. And one thing that can help an athlete or anyone that's running to keep their minds focused is that end result. How good will it feel when he crosses, crosses the line and sees his loved ones cheering him on? I remember when we, uh, we did the, um, what's that thing called again? The uh, Tough Mudder. And like, I felt, I, was, like, I got to a point where I was like, yeah, we're almost there. And I'm like, you're only halfway. <laughs> I was only halfway. But when I got to that finish line, you know, and I, and I saw my wife there, and I was like, what, what came to my mind really was eating a burger or sinking a drink when I get to the end. But it was that knowing that at the end, you will be crowned. I will be crowned, or have, oh, crowned, but have that, that, that gold medallion put around my neck to say you've completed that. The Christian life is a lot like a long distance race. We may begin well, but after some time we get tired. We become weary of living for Christ. Along the way we encounter distractions, we face difficulties, we become bogged down with discouragements. It gets harder and harder to keep the pace and we often feel exhausted. We don't even want to carry on running. What do we do? Well, we do the same thing long distance runners do. We keep our minds focused on the finish line. For God have not, has not appointed us for wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Let's think carefully about these things. Since God is so merciful to spare us from the wrath that we rightly deserved, should we press on gratefully? I mean, if God is with us, who can stand against us? God has appointed us for salvation. If you're a believer in Christ, before you were born, God had already appointed you to salvation. Whatever discouragement we may be going through, when we, when we put that into context to know that God has already appointed us to salvation, whether we win or lose, in that discouragement, whether we face that battle when the battle even destroys us in this life, we know that in the life to come, we will be with Jesus Christ eternally. That's why death has no sting anymore. And that's right, that's what we ought to do to encourage one another. That's what Paul is saying there in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is what we ought to build one another up with. And we're at the back, weeping. We ought to encourage one another. Jesus has appointed us unto salvation. When we're at our homes, feeling the difficulty, Jesus has appointed us onto salvation. When in our relationships, we're facing discouragement, Jesus has appointed us onto salvation. We need to stay in close fellowship with one another and continue to keep encouraging one another. 
If you're discouraged and you know me, reach out to me. I'll try to encourage you. But, you know, I'm going to plagiarize from Pastor Ryan the same way he's plagiarizing from God. <laughs> I'm going to go to the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, 25 tells us, let us consider one another to provoke one another to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more as we see the day approaching. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus Christ is returning soon. We do not know the hour. We do not know the day. But he's coming again soon. Let us watch and be sober as we wait for his glorious return. Let's pray. Our heavenly and gracious Father, thank you, Lord, that we have one another. Thank you, Lord, that in this life we can gather together and encourage one another in different spheres. I know where the times when I've felt the weight of, of, of life, or even the weight of my own sin upon my shoulders, and my brothers and sisters have rallied around me. They have prayed for me. They've encouraged me. Lord, as you have comforted me, may I be a comfort to, one, to others. As you have comforted us, may we be a comfort to others. May we watch and be sober. Think of those words in the Gospels, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Very, very, very strong words there. Father, I pray that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, that he would find faith in me, that he has already imparted in me, and that I will be awake. That those who are here this evening, that those who are watching, that they would be awake, that they would know that they are no longer in darkness, but in light, and that we ought to walk in light. Father, I ask you to be with us this week. Help us, Lord, in every single conversation or interaction that we have. May we be people that bring light to others for the glory and honor of his name. Amen. Amen.